The scripture passage this morning is from Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 6. Congregation, hear the word of the Lord. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The word of the Lord. Let's pray. O God, we pray that the power of your word today would deepen our faith and motivate us in our walk with you. Amen. In 2009, I was a part of Timothy Christian's Spring Break International Trip. And about 30 of us, mostly students and some teachers, uh, we took a trip to Greece and uh, then a Mediterranean cruise. Doesn't that sound nice? A Mediterranean cruise where we visited uh, Ephesus and Turkey and uh, various islands. It was a great trip. Uh, One of the islands that we visited was the island of Patmos. Uh, This is where the Apostle John spent his final days on earth. This is where John wrote the book of Revelation. It even says so in the Bible. I remember clearly that day. We uh, went to Patmos, and uh, we got taxis, various taxis, and we went up the the mountain, or, or big hill. It's about 900 feet above sea level. Uh, we went to the top and uh, went to the, uh, the monastery of St. John. Uh, if you've been in, in a Greek Orthodox church before, uh, very ornate and unique in the decorations. So we walked through it. I was glad to have been there. It was very interesting. And we left. We uh, hiked down part of the hill to the cave of the Apocalypse. This is where... Tradition says, uh, John wrote the book of Revelation. Now, I've been to many places where tradition says. When I was in seminary, I spent three weeks in Israel. We went to a lot of these places, and I really liked going to them. It was so interesting, and I learned a lot. And here we were going to go to yet another one where tradition says. Okay, So uh, we hike down, and uh, we get there, and this is one of the biggest Tourist places on the island, right? Not a bus or a car in the parking lot. We had the place to ourselves. And uh, we we walked through a a small uh, gift shop, not Tiki Tac, nice, little gift shop. And then uh, around the cave, they had built up a a monastery and a chapel. So to get to the cave's entrance, you you walk down some some steps. It's fine. And uh, then we... We enter the cave area. There was a a Greek Orthodox priest there, just kind of looking over things. 
And then uh, we turned the corner, and the cave was just a simple rock cave. No ornamentation at all. Uh, the ceiling was just about you know this high. You could touch it. And uh, there were some benches there. And so uh, the students came in. We had the place to ourselves. And they, they filed in and sat on the benches. At this point, I had planned uh, to read a few verses from Revelation, uh, sing a song, He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead, and He's my Lord. Just that simple chorus. Uh, and then we would pray. And uh, so uh, students sat down. Uh, here is the cave, and there was a big crack in the rock. Tradition says that it was from this crack that the voice of the Lord spoke to the Apostle John in the cave. So before I read from the book of Revelation, I can't explain this to you, but I just reached up and I, I touched the rock and that crack. And all of a sudden, without expecting it, and I mean, I had devotions that morning, but they weren't particularly great. I mean, they were fine. So it was just a normal day is my point. I reached up and I, and I touched that crack, and all of a sudden, a wave came over me of the cost that the early Christians suffered to build the church. It, I was just overwhelmed with the sacrifice and the suffering of the early church so that we could be here today. They were a part of the founding of the body of Christ on earth. This came over me. And as I read my selected verses in Revelation, I could, I could barely get through the passage. When we sang the, the simple chorus, He is Lord, I, I couldn't stand anymore, and I, I just knelt down as we sang. When we were done singing, I looked up, and our principal, Mr. Rinsma, was standing there with tears streaming down his face. I said, can you pray? And he offered a word of prayer. When the prayer was done, not one student moved. I, I looked up, and they were all in prayer. Some sitting, some kneeling. They could not move. We stayed there for the next, uh, well, few minutes. And uh, finally, some tourists began to arrive. And so I said, well, we should uh, probably uh, exit now. Uh, we left in silence up those stairs, and right outside the building was a big rock, and we just all sat in the rock in the sun, and believe it or not, nobody talked. Even the high school students, they were silent. And uh, we just sat there, kind of thinking, what just happened to us? I share that story, this story, one of the most uh, surprising and powerful spiritual experiences that I've had in my life. And uh, through it, God reinforced in me uh, the blessing and the importance of Christians that sacrifice for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, very often churches think about this in November. There's the Sunday of the day of prayer for the persecuted church. I understand your church uh, did this. I'm just a little bit behind. Sorry. 
Um, actually, as a chapel coordinator at Timothy, I received materials for that. And instead of having a day on a Sunday, I planned a middle school chapel. And I have an upcoming high school chapel focused on the persecuted church. And as I was working on these chapels, I just began thinking, what does God's word have to say about this? And uh, so that's kind of where uh, this message comes from today. And the theme of this message is, it's simple. It is concern for persecuted Christians. God is calling us to have concern for persecuted Christians. I want to look at uh, uh, what is our call to do from God's word. What does God's word say we should do? I also want to think about what persecution what persecuted Christians do for us. And then finally, uh, what are some specific action steps for us? Uh, What can can we do? Uh, So first, what should we do? Well, obviously, we should pray. We should pray. And uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. This call to prayer in Ephesians 6 is set in the context of the famous armor of God passage, the belt of truth. Sword of the Spirit, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, yes? And in that context of spiritual struggle and battle, one of the most important ways in which we as Christians can stand strong in the faith is simply prayer. Prayer has effect. When we pray, there are consequences. And the consequences, one of the consequences is spiritual strength. This is the way God has designed life. Prayer. God uses prayer to give us spiritual strength. Paul was in chains, under arrest, when he wrote Ephesians. And so he says, please pray. Please pray for me, I need it. Pray for all the Lord's people. We all need it. We all need it to stand strong in the faith. And persecuted Christians have a lot of pressure on them to stand strong in the faith. Of course, this passage relates to all of us. We should be praying for each other. But certainly, persecuted Christians come under this call to prayer as well. What should we do? We should pray. We should also have compassion. Have compassion. Now, uh, looking at the text that I I read for the sermon, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. As if you yourselves were suffering. It's easy for me to have compassion on somebody that I see. I hear about a student going through a tough time, and I know that student, and I am instantly drawn to have compassion for that student. To be honest, it's a little more difficult 
to have compassion on people that I don't see and may not know. This is a tall order uh, for us to have compassion on the persecuted church, especially for us, quite honestly, sitting here. And my, my point here is not, you better have compassion right now or you're messed up. No, no. It is, this is God's call from his word. And let's be honest with where we're at in compassion for the worldwide church. And I believe the road to grow in compassion is simply grow in information understand what's going on in this world in the church, and then pray for the church. And as we pray with this understanding, I believe that as we pray in faith in time, God will give us his heart for those who suffer for the faith. So we need to look to God and ask him for his heart in this issue. Uh, What should we do? We should pray, we should have compassion, and we should also take action. The early church was called to take action for those who are suffering for the faith. Back to Hebrews 13.3. Continue to remember those in prison. Remember those in prison. Now, if you'll recall the scripture passage that I read, Hebrews 13.1-6, right? If you recall back, it's kind of a a hodgepodge of things. Okay, this and this and this... Uh, Uh, Be hospitable, entertain strangers, or or be hospitable. Uh, Remember those in prison. Uh, Marriage bed should be kept pure. Uh, Don't don't love money. Just kind of all these things put together. But if you think about this, how did the chapter start? It started with this, love. Love. And how is this love? What are some ways in which this love can be expressed? Love by being hospitable to people, welcoming people, helping people into your home, whether it's a dinner, overnight, be hospitable. That's one way to love. What's another way to love? Remember those in prison for the faith. Another way to love? To be loving in family is to honor the sacredness of marriage and your commitment to your spouse, important to love. And then also to remember that something we shouldn't love, we, we appreciate and it's useful, but we don't love money. So this passage is, is about love. And when we love, we take action. There is a consequence to our love. Now, strangers, are, when, we, when we're hospitable, people come to us. For those in prison, we have to go to them. Now, for the people reading Hebrews... Way back in the day, very often if, if a Christian was in prison, they needed other people to come to bring them food, to bring them blankets, to stay warm, extra clothes. So, I mean, they needed people to, to literally go visit them. So it's different for us today, although the call to action should not be any less. So what should we do? We should pray, have compassion, and take action. Second, what the persecuted church does for us. Perspective is important. And I believe that the the persecuted church 
can purify our perspective on life. How you view life affects how you live life. Here is a very minor example, but it makes my point, okay? Um, I grew up in a home. I was the oldest of three children, okay? So family dinner. Sometimes at dinner, uh, after the meal, we would have what us kids called a formal dessert. This was like, you know, not just some cookies, but a, a special dessert that was made. They called it a formal dessert. Let's say it was cake. So, uh, you know, the cake is cut. Everybody gets their piece of cake, right? Now, I was the oldest. What did that mean? That meant my piece of cake needed to be bigger than my little sister's piece of cake. And if my piece of cake was smaller, I didn't like it. Honest, it's so dumb, but it bugged me. (sighs) My perspective. I get my cake. Because of my perspective, I'm bothered. Rather than, wow, we have a special dessert tonight, and I get to have a special dessert in front of me, and I am looking forward to this tasty treat at the end of the meal. I am thankful. As opposed to my perspective, "Ah, my sister's bigger piece. Now, this happens in all areas of life and in bigger issues, too. I mean, sometimes we can be so disgruntled with, you know, my situation in life, who I am, what I look like, uh, what I can do or can't do. Why does that person have more than me? Or, I'm alive today. I'm breathing. God has given me a chance to live today, and for that thankful. Perspective matters. The persecuted church purifies our perspective. One way it purifies our perspective, it it helps us see an eternal perspective, an eternal perspective. Earlier on in Hebrews chapter 10, remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Joyfully accepted Joyfully accept somebody taking my home away from me? Really? That just seems odd to me. But you see, these persecuted Christians had joy, not because the home was taken away. They had joy because of their perspective, their eternal perspective. And that is what gave them strength to get through the awfulness of what was going on. It purified their perspective. I think this is so important for us. Uh, For us living in a relatively peaceful and prosperous society, um, I like my life. Is this bad? No, it's not bad. Right here, friends, we, we enjoy each other. This is good. And this is a blessing from God. There's no guilt. It's, I, I love this. I embrace this. 
But at the same time, I, you, we need to be reminded of the eternal perspective. There's an elderly man in my church. He's in his 90s, still attends uh, weekly uh, Sunday services. And uh, I like to talk with him. A godly man, deeply committed disciple of Jesus. And uh, we will talk and very often in our conversation. And he's not planning this. It's just him. It just comes out. Very often in our conversation, he just begins to talk of an eternal perspective. And you can see in this man who's in his 90s, you can see in him this joy that he is God's child. And God has prepared a place for him. And when I talk to him and, and he brings this in, God uses him to purify my eternal perspective. Likewise, the persecuted church purifies our perspective and helps us to keep in mind eternity. And secondly, uh, the persecuted church helps us with a gospel perspective. A gospel perspective. Philippians chapter 1, 12 to 13. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, happened to the Apostle Paul, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Most Bible scholars think that uh, this situation is Acts 28. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. Uh, this is the time that it's thought that he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, and, and Colossians. So Paul is under arrest. Uh, he has house arrest. It's not a dungeon, but he's still being persecuted for the faith. What is driving Paul? What, what is driving him? It is his call to proclaim the gospel. Yes, things are not going well for him physically. And, and yet he says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. This is what, Paul, this is what drives Paul. And, and not only that, Paul is excited that his example in living for Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel, his example is affecting other Christians, is encouraging other Christians to have that gospel perspective in life. And so I say, amen, let it be for me, let it be for you, that as we see Christians, as we understand Christians standing up for Jesus in very difficult circumstances, we can be encouraged to live our lives with that gospel perspective. So what can, we, what can we do? We can pray, have compassion, and take action. What does the persecuted church do for us? It purifies our perspective, an eternal perspective, and a gospel perspective. And so finally, uh, what we can do, what we can do. Now, I just have some ideas on this that I'd like to share with you. Uh, this is not uh, the end of uh, all that you can do. But I thought, I want to be very practical. And uh, as I have uh, just uh, looked around on things, I have, uh, I've come across two organizations that seem to be at the forefront of 
helping the church be aware of the persecuted church. Uh, the first uh, organization uh, is, uh, you see, persecution.com. Uh, that is uh, the organization, the voice of the martyrs. They've published a couple very popular books, uh, Jesus Freaks, uh, the books uh, where they tell stories of persecuted Christians. I read some of these in my eighth grade uh, Bible class. So Voice of the Martyrs, it was uh, started by Romanian Christian Richard Wormbrand, uh, who uh, in the 50s and uh, 60s spent 14 years uh, tortured and in prison in communist Romania. And uh, then made his way out of there, eventually landed in the U.S., even spent some time in Wheaton, Illinois, uh, Voice of the Martyrs. He has since uh, passed away. Uh, this is a, a very... Uh, good website, and I wanted to show you, here it's, oh, go back, here it says uh, get involved, and there's just a little list there. Uh, so there are, are many ways, even very small ways, in which to get involved, and this is a very nice place to start. Uh, the next slide shows a map of the world, and uh, you kind of see all the little dots there. If you click on one of those dots, it will highlight a country where Christians are persecuted. So you can learn more about what's going on in that particular country. So persecution.com, Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, another website that is uh, very helpful, and that's the, the next one, is opendoorsusa.org. The organization is Open Doors. Uh, this was started by a Dutchman. Yes, Brother Andrew is uh, what he is called. And in the 1950s, as a young man, this guy would pack Bibles in his Volkswagen bug and smuggle them into communist Eastern Europe. And uh, amazing stories. He wrote a best-selling book in the 60s, God Smuggler. Well, this turned into Open Doors, uh, the ministry. And uh, you see there, uh, you can download a 60-day prayer calendar, uh, which... Uh, is one way to pray and to take action. Uh, the next, next slide, uh, they also have a map of the world. Uh, what's interesting about this map is they rate the countries on number one, persecuting of Christian country, two, and maybe through 50. Uh, number one and two have been the same for many years. Uh, North Korea and Saudi Arabia, one and two for many years. Here, you learn about the country, and it all also offers uh, prayer. Uh, lastly, the last one is uh, onewiththem.com. This is Open Doors. It's a, a sister site to the Open Doors, and you can uh, see it there. Uh, this site, for those of you with smartphones, it is a, has a mobile uh, site, so it looks very nice on a small screen or on your website, big screen. And this uh, site, very practical. Actually, I'm using this site uh, more for my chapel uh, that um, I'm doing it at, at Timothy. So uh, persecution.com, uh, opendoorsusa.org, and onewiththem.com. Uh, these are ways in which you can become uh, more involved. Uh, in conclusion, the goal of this sermon is not to say you have to look at these websites. This is perhaps helpful for you. Uh, the goal of this sermon is 
is not, well, you better be doing something right now or you're a bad Christian. No. The goal of the sermon is to increase our heart for the church around the world. And specifically, just our heart and concern for our our brothers and sisters in the faith uh, who, with great sacrifice, uh, serve Jesus. And uh, I would encourage you to pray about this and for you just to simply uh, pray, how is God calling you to respond to this issue? And it could be different uh, for each person in this room, but how is God calling you uh, to respond to this issue?